Hey, listeners of the Bio Report, I want to tell you about a new member benefit from the California Technology Council. CTC has teamed with Reprovada to offer members six months of Reprovada's COT Network service for free, which gives companies the power of a VPN at a fraction of the cost. A remote, flexible workforce is the new normal, but most corporate networks aren't built to accommodate work from home at scale. Reprovada's COT Network offers an easily deployable, affordable, and scalable solution to securely enable remote workers and protect the corporate network. To learn more about this and other member benefits, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. NASH, a form of fatty liver disease, causes progressive damage and can lead to inflammation, fibrosis, and the development of cancer. It has become an increasing health concern as the Western diet has spread throughout the globe. Today, it's estimated that as much as 5% of the world's population has NASH, with a greater percent of people with the condition in the United States. There's no simple blood test to diagnose NASH, which means it often progresses to a fibrotic stage before it's detected. There's also no approved therapy to treat it. We spoke to Robert Foster, CEO of Hepion, about the company's experimental therapy for NASH, how it works, and why it may also have utility as a treatment for COVID-19. Robert, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Hepion, its lead experimental therapy in development to treat serious liver diseases, and the potential for this same drug as a treatment for COVID-19. Let's start with NASH, though, which is the lead indication you're pursuing. For listeners not familiar with the condition, what is NASH? NASH is, I'll, I'll describe it, it's, um, it's an acronym that stands for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. Uh, and what that really means is many of us, without knowing it, will have um, a, a liver that's fatty. You know, we just call it fatty liver disease. And in a more severe form of fatty liver disease, you get inflammation and you get um, fibrosis or, you know, kind of like a you know, fairly decent um, amount of liver injury that would be called NASH. And so that's maybe, I would say, up to maybe 10% of the people that have fatty liver disease can develop NASH. How does NASH manifest itself and progress? Well, I think in earlier stages, um, you start getting inflammation of the liver. So there'd be, um, you know, the the hepatitis component. Um, And as the inflammation gets, uh, you know, more severe and it's chronic in nature, uh, eventually you get scarring of the liver. And so you get fibrosis or collagen deposition, just, you know, protein deposition, in this case, collagen. And um, it, can, it can sort of uh, 
you know, from move, move from uh, one stage of NASH to the next, each one being more severe than the previous one. So we oftentimes categorize NASH uh, and fibrosis of, of NASH as, you know, um, increasingly severe. And then ultimately, in its most severe form, we'd probably look at uh, cirrhosis, which is a very um, severe form of the, of the fibrosis that occurs in, in NASH. And what's the prognosis for patients with the condition today? Well, it's one of the leading causes of um, liver transplantation. And left untreated, uh, it can also lead to liver cancers. So you develop liver tumors. It can also lead to uh, death. You know, so uh, definitely, I would say it's um, you know it's an epidemic uh, that needs to be treated. It's very very common um, because when you look at the global incidence or prevalence, I should say, uh, probably looking at about one to three to one to four people globally will have fatty livers. And it could, depending on the location, it could be up to 10 or 12% of those people can develop NASH. So it's a lot of people uh, that are involved here. And, you know, again, left untreated can lead to a lot of serious downstream consequences of, of, um, of the liver disease including cardiovascular disease as well. Your lead experimental candidate is CRV431. This is a cyclophilin inhibitor. What are cyclophilins? Well, cyclophilins are a class of uh, enzymes or you know proteins in the body. And we know that in humans, there's probably at least 17 different types of cyclophilins. Um, we've obviously you know, numbered them or labeled them. Um, but they all essentially do the same thing. And what cyclophilins are involved in is the folding of proteins, um, quite simply. And as you can imagine, uh, anytime you have a protein, these are not just sort of flat structures like a piece of paper laying on a table, but there's actual three-dimensional configuration to proteins. So not only do you have the you know, the sequence of amino acids that can make up a protein, but you have that folding back and forth in the three-dimensional structure. And that structure will dictate to a large extent the function of the protein. And so sometimes um, we, we may want to go in there and alter the, the way that the, um, the protein is, is folded um, so that it, you know, changes the way that we can deal with a disease or um, change what we can... Um, um, you know, if there's a if there's a virus, for example, we can go in and change the way that um, there's an interaction between these proteins and certain viruses. So they're 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 very um, prevalent throughout the body, um, and so I think you know as a as a target for sure, um, they're very important targets to consider when developing therapeutics. Well, how exactly does CRV four thirty one work? Well, when it comes to uh, NASH, treating NASH or fibrosis, uh, we've seen, a, you know, probably there's at least a couple different mechanisms. So, for example, we do know that in NASH, as I mentioned, there's um, scarring or there's uh, formation of collagen um, that uh, is the protein that's involved in the scarring and, and the loss of function of the liver. And in order to get that... Um, collagen formation of the pro, you know, the protein itself to form, um, it forms through this uh, triple helix. So you get 
almost like a intertwining of collagen strands. Um, and the intertwining is cross-linked. And in order to get the cross-linking, there's a participation of cyclophilins that uh, determines how these things are cross-linked. And really, if it, this is actually governed by something called cyclophilin B. Um, so if we remove cyclophilin B, which you can do experimentally, you can realize that you don't get the same uh, formation of collagen. Um, so it seems that cyclophilin B is really, really important in terms of the cross-linking of these collagen fibers. So that's probably at least one, one good reason why you'd want to use a, a cyclophilin inhibition uh, as a therapeutic for this. CRV431 is also a potential treatment for hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and hepatitis D. Does it rely on the same mechanism of action for its effect on these viral diseases? You know, each one of these diseases is slightly different in terms of how cyclophilins works. So, for example, on um, hepatitis B as well as D, uh, there's an interaction um, with uh, a receptor. In this case, it's not so much uh, cyclophilin related, but it's a receptor called NTCP, which is responsible for the uptake of the uh, the virus into the cell. And this would be the case of Hep B as well as uh, D or Delta virus. Um, hepatitis C, you have a binding of uh, cyclophilin to the non-structural proteins. And so if you can interrupt a binding of the cyclophilin to the non-structural proteins, um, we feel that we can um, actually um, reduce the viral replication. So there, there's somewhat slightly different mechanisms. And there's also different mechanisms just in terms of how the virus is shuttled or transported through the cell and, and also what happens when the virus enters the cell. So, for example, we do know that in some instances, um, the virus can stimulate um, or, or bypass, I should say, the innate immunity. It can avoid uh, immunity. And one thing that the cyclophilins can do is it can actually expose you know, the virus, whether it's a DNA or RNA, it can expose the virus in a way that uh, it, it sort of stimulates innate immunity. So, in other words, things like the interferons can, can participate and deal with the virus. Would that suggest that it would be good as a combination therapy? I think so. I think it would. Um, you know, hepatitis B, for example, would be a, a good example where you can have, maybe you'll have a, a drug that is a, a polymerase inhibitor, um, which, a, a, you know, a number of companies are working on. Um, but you could also have a drug that, you know, such as ours, that can reduce the amount of uh, virus that enters the cell. And then there's other parts. Um, to all of this as well. So for example, going back to hepatitis B, one of the things that hep B uh, does, and one of the problems associated with hep B virus uh, infections is that you get a production of a lot of surface antigen. And in a way, I would almost view surface antigen as a decoy. So these decoys are pumped out in such massive numbers relative to the virus itself that it overwhelms the immune response. So you get something called T-cell exhaustion. So the, the immune response is just, it's just overwhelmed. Um, so one of the things that we think could uh, be important about uh, you know, our, our lead uh, compound CRV431 is that it could uh, help to reduce um, 
the, the amount or the, the concentration of these surface antigens. So there's these little, I would say, almost like a little nuances uh, between, you know, vi going from virus to virus. And there's slight differences the way the, the drug will, or our drug candidate will participate in each one of these viral life cycles. What's known about CRV431 to date? Well, to date, we're, we are in the clinic. So we've kicked off already our, our phase two. Um, that, that's a program that we're looking at NASH patients. Um, and we'll probably be doing more than one dose, but nevertheless, uh, you know, it is in the clinic. We'll, we'll be looking at fibrosis. We'll be looking at fibrotic markers. That also implies that, of course, we've already gone through our phase one program. So the phase one, of course, being safety, tolerability, and pharmacokinetics. So we've been able to map all that out. Um, the drug is, uh, all, by all accounts, it appears to be very safe and well tolerated. Um, we've nicely mapped out the PK profile or the pharmacokinetics. Um, so that's all been done, of course, in humans. But if we, if we go over to the um, animal side and we look at, for example, the, the usual required studies in, in toxicology, uh, where you look at different species, you'll look like, for example, at non-human primates. You'll also look at, um, you know, other, for example, rodents. Um, and what we've also found in our toxicology studies, and these are given, you know, when the drug is given at high concentrations, is that the drug by all intents and purposes is looking quite safe. Um, so much so, in fact, that um, we've tried to figure out ways of actually ramping up our, our drug exposure levels or concentrations um, to the point where we can try to see and push for toxic toxicity because as it stands right now, we're really not encountering a lot of toxicity. And, and certainly in the clinic, um, we're not really seeing any, any meaningful adverse events. We certainly haven't seen any serious adverse events. And I think that's, you know, one of the whole, I guess, one of the ideas behind doing clinical trials, certainly in a phase one, is to see if you can see any sort of uh, dose uh, limiting side effects, which we haven't seen yet. Um, and this is despite giving pretty big doses. What's the clinical path forward for the drug in, in NASH? So the whole idea um, moving forward is to, to finish up the phase 2A program. And, and I'll make a distinction here. So the phase 2A is actually a fairly short time course when it comes to drug administration. So CRV-431 is given orally. And the phase 2A is to give CRV-431 for only 28 days in a small group of patients. And these are NASH patients, again, with fibrosis. And then what we'll likely do is ramp up the dose um, higher and higher in um, possibly two or three different dosing cohorts. And because this is a short trial, there's very little chance we'll see any reduction in the fibrosis scores. Uh, when it comes to, for example, an F3 going down to an F2 or F2 to F1. Um, and we're not doing biopsies. We're not doing deliver biopsies that can actually show us that. So the phase 2A, I would call it more of an exploratory trial where we're looking at specific biomarkers, for example, Pro-C3. We're looking at, you know, what happens to collagen or pro-collagens. And we're looking at uh, liver enzymes, for example, AST, ALT. Um, we're looking at something called an enhanced liver fibrosis score, ALF score. Um, so there's a few things we're looking at. It's almost like, to some extent, reading the tea leaves 
you know, before we get to the larger phase 2B. And the phase 2B will probably do, I mean, we, we haven't decided yet, but we'll probably likely do a sort of a low, medium, higher, maybe a, maybe only two doses or dosing cohorts in the phase 2B. But, but that'll be uh, many more subjects uh, in NASH, and it'll be for a longer course of treatment as well uh, before we get into the phase 3. So overall, we anticipate uh, we should be getting ready to get towards the end of our, our uh, trial process and move towards an NDA in 2026. There's an interest in the potential of CRV-431 as a treatment for COVID-19. Why is that? How did this begin to get looked at for the, the potential use? Yeah, so it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, several years ago, uh, I guess this would be going back to 2015 or so, um, we knew that the literature was full of references that talked about cyclophilin inhibitors having antiviral effects. And one of the things that we thought we did, we should do early on was to test CRV431 against a whole slew of different viruses. So we shipped the drug off to the NIH. And uh, this was a contract lab in, in um, Utah that tested CRV431 against the whole, um, you know, a whole different group of viruses, including coronavirus. So, of course, you know, towards the end of 2019 or early 2020, when we realized that we quite likely were having a pandemic on our hands, um, we looked back at the earlier data we did about five years ago. We said, hey, you know, one of those things that we tested was coronavirus. But obviously it wasn't, the, you know, the, the coronavirus 2 that is responsible for COVID-19. But nevertheless, we thought, let's go back and let's see what we can do. So we've embarked upon a process of looking to see if there was any activity against the new, uh, you know, the uh, coronavirus 2 um, and, and looking to see if uh, CRV-431 had an effect against that. So we did go out to labs in, in Germany and different parts of the U.S. and Canada, and we're just pulling all that in together uh, right now. But we've, we definitely have found um, evidence that shows we have antiviral activity. Um, so that was a, we thought that was a big plus. It seems to, you know, reduce virus uh, replication. Um, and then on top of that, we also knew that the literature was strongly suggesting that um, when you have a, a COVID-19 infection, even if you recover, there could be some long-term uh, consequences uh, of the viral infection, and these would be related to lung inflammation or lung injury. Um, so we also thought that um, there was a strong reason, based on our own research as well as literature, that CRV-431 could have beneficial effects when it came to reducing the consequences of having um, lung injury. And that's something we also explored, which so far is looking quite promising. Well, what's being done to possibly pursue this as a, an additional indication? So, so the, for the COVID to be an in indication? Um, yeah. So right, yeah. So right now we're, we're actually... In the process of pulling together uh, all the results of the uh, studies we've done, so these are antiviral um, results that we've pulled together, as well as the results that we have in our hands on the um, lung injury, lung injury um, studies that were done in Massachusetts. And then we'll be pulling together an application to submit an IND or investigational new drug uh, application. That'll go in um, this fall. 
And so we will be looking at uh, pushing uh, CRV431 into the clinic. And, you know, with the caveat that we have to think about resources. So, uh, you know, we're a small company uh, with limited resources. So one thing that we'll have to do is contemplate how do we best move this forward? I mean, ideally, you'd want to, you know, look at non-dilutive or non-equity type of uh, financing to move this uh, this project forward. But regardless, I think we can we can certainly move this into, uh, uh, you know, a phase two study because, you know, the phase ones are already done. So it'll go um, pretty much straight into a phase two. Robert Foster, CEO of Happyon. Robert, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're entirely welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.